Yes, it is last week's PowerPoint. But that's okay. I'm a professional. I can handle it. We'll just leave that up there the whole time. No, you can just take it down unless you can find the other, uh, the other file. But um, this week, the title for the series... We should probably get that off, right? <laughs> so you can just take the PowerPoint down unless you can find the other slide. So just put up a blank slide for now. Um, this week, the title is Living Proof. Galatians 1, 11 through 24. Let me read to you the passage, and then we'll talk about it, okay? Uh, for I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached to me, it was, was preached by me, is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, or if you'll allow me to change the word, you've heard of my former life in religion. How I persecuted the church of God violently. I tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism, or if you'll allow me the word, religion. I was advancing in religion beyond many of my own age among my people. In other words, he was a religion protege. He was a religion savant. He was very good at religion. So I was advancing beyond many of my own age among my people. And so I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. And then there's a but. But when he who had set me apart before I was born, think about those words for a minute. Paul says, I was zealous for religion and I made it my life's purpose to kill Christians and destroy the church. And then he says, but when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. And then he goes and talks a little bit about what happened after that. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the apostles except for James, the Lord's brother. Then I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia. And I was still unknown. I w- and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. And they were only hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. And they glorified God because of me. As you guys know, the way we like to break down passages of Scripture, actually I think the most effective way to make sure you get the correct context and the correct truth, is you have to break it down in three areas. And you guys know we've gone through this before. There's the historical that asks the question, what about man? What did he do? What did he say? Why did he do it? Then there is the theological, what about God? What does God say? Why does he say it? Why does, what does he do? Why does he do it? And then there's the devotional. What about me? What should I say? What should I do? Why should I do it? So let's look at the historical. Understand what's going on here. There are false teachers who tried to denigrate Paul's reputation as an apostle And they tried to denigrate his Jewishness. And they tried to say that the gospel that Paul preached is insufficient because it 
The gospel, even though Jesus died, it still requires you to be a good Jew. You still have to do all the things the temple says to do. You still have to do all these little works, these actions, follow the laws in the Talmud, submit yourself to the Sanhedrin. You cannot abandon temple worship just because of the gospel of Jesus. So that's kind of where it starts. And I want you to know that the best way to approve the authority of the gospel and its unarguable results is your own story. And what an amazing story of where Paul was and where he ends up. In the defense of his authority as an apostle and his gospel message, Paul gives us a small glimpse, and in other letters, by the way, he gives much more detail, but Paul gives a small glimpse into what he went through, what his journey was, who he was, and who he became because of the powerful and passionate gospel that transformed his heart and life. His conversion was miraculous. His conversion was spectacular. It would almost be like as if Christopher Hitchens, a very famous atheist, became a believer. People would be shocked by it. That was the shock value of the gospel's effect on the Apostle Paul. Now, Paul's transformation was pretty amazing because understand, when it came to religion, he was the best. None were better. And the effect was that he was a very, very religious man, but he was dark and wicked. He was very religious And that religion resulted in darkness and wickedness and murderous activity. In fact, he was the tip of the spear meant to eradicate the church from Jerusalem and the earth. The idea behind it is the high priest and his people said, we've got to eradicate this church before it spreads beyond Jerusalem into uttermost parts where we don't have as much control. This heresy has to be ended. And Paul was the tip of the spear. He was on his way to Damascus to kill some more Christians. And then he met Jesus. He was blinded. He was shook up. And then he received the gospel directly from Jesus himself, which gives him his claim to be an apostle. And then at that moment, once he met Jesus, here's what happened. Everything he had valued his whole life became worthless. Religious success became meaningless to him. And then all of a sudden, after this interaction with Jesus, Paul completely turned his back on all his former spiritual, quote-unquote, passions. And the transformation was so powerful that Paul turned his back on the training he had gotten from his youth throughout his young adulthood into early manhood, all the passions for the temple he had as a young man, everything he ever thought he knew about approaching a relationship with God, all the things he thought he he had to follow to be connected to Jehovah, all these things, in a split moment he said, waste of time. Jesus is the way. Just like that. Then after that, by the way, in case you aren't aware, Paul started a ton of churches. The guy who was trying to kill the church 
goes out and starts a lot of churches. What's more amazing, he starts these churches with people who aren't even Jewish. And then he writes most of the New Testament. You understand, there would have been none more efficient or more effective or more accomplished at religion than Paul before his conversion. Nobody was better at being a good church person than Paul. None of you could hold a candle. Maybe Pastor Hedgepath, maybe, but no one else. That was a compliment, by the way. I didn't mean to, okay. Paul wrote most of the New Testament. Would have been the best. But then his conversion takes place. And after his conversion, there were none more committed, none more vocal, none more courageous with the message of the gospel of Jesus. None the church has ever known has been better at preaching Jesus than Paul. Better than Billy Graham, better than George Whitfield, better than Spurgeon, better than anyone you can imagine. You notice it wasn't religion that transformed Paul. If religion had the power to transform someone's heart, then Paul's heart would have been the greatest of all time. Religion was powerless to transform Paul. In fact, religion made Paul evil. What did a lifetime of arduous religious accomplishments do? Nothing. But what religion couldn't do, a moment with Jesus did in seconds. In seconds, guys. In seconds. A whole lifetime of work to be godly was past. And in seconds, he became this amazing missionary. Philippians 3, 1 to 9. I got to read this to you. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it is safe for you. Here's what he says. He's talking about the same concept in, that he was addressing in Galatians. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who try to mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and the glory in Christ Jesus, and we put no confidence in the flesh, or in other words, no confidence in our religious accomplishments. Though I myself have reason to have confidence in the flesh, if anyone thinks he has reason to have more confidence in the flesh, I have a lot more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of my life. Of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, I was considered a Hebrew among Hebrews. In other words, if there were a top 20 ranking of Hebrews, he would be number one, maybe number two. As to the law, I was a Pharisee. As to zealousness, I persecuted the church. As to righteousness under law, I was blameless. Indeed, I count everything. Here's what he says in the last part. He talks about all that stuff, right? Good, we're up here, good. Let me look at this. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. The Greek word actually means dung, sewage. I count all my religion as sewage. Wow. I wish Paul were a little more expressive. That's why I like him. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, 
But that which comes through faith, which is what, by the way? Faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. That's Paul's opinion of his religious accomplishments. See, he found these things to be pointless when compared to his interaction with Jesus on the road to Damascus. So my question for you is this. How many of our religious sacred cows do we think maybe are in adherence to Scripture, but in reality, maybe even subconsciously, are additions to the gospel? Additions that maybe even are traditionally adored, but unnecessary. Let me give an example. I'm just going to give one. I could give examples for hours, but I'll just give one. There's a really bad teaching out there about fasting. If you just stop eating, your prayers will be heard more. I mean, that's the ultimate logical conclusion. But you know what the fasting, you know, when you stop eating, you know what the real teaching about Scripture is? That you have so much anxiety or you have so much burden in your life, you're dealing with something very emotional, like when we dealt with the the death of our daughter, something like that, you lose your appetite and all you want to do is focus on God. It's not an act of righteousness. I'm going to fast today. No, it's, I'm burdened for this person. I'm burdened for this thing going on in my life. I'm burdened for what's happening in our church, or I'm burdened what's going on at my job. I've got, I don't even, even want to eat. I just want to pray. And it's a natural reaction to want to turn to God and say, God, please help me. And you're so focused on God, you don't even want to eat. Fasting doesn't make you closer to God. I mean, if that's the case... I'm in big trouble. (laughs) Huge. I just got scared there for a minute. Here's what happens. Suddenly there becomes this subtle shift into confidence in what you can do. Confidence in your performance. And less of a focus on grace. And you know what else can happen? When you begin to have confidence in your performance or confidence in your checklist that you're doing and less performance on grace, you know what else begins to happen? Arrogance, judgment of others. You should fast more. You could use it, Pastor Joe. I know some of you have thought that. Look, that's the historical application. Here's the theological application. It's very simple today. You know what it is? The gospel doesn't need your help. You need it. And often it helps you when you're unsuspecting. Paul did not have on his daytime, or today I'm going to go to Damascus to kill some Christians, and on the way, Jesus is going to change my heart. The gospel just intervened in spite of Paul's desire to kill Christians. See, what happens is it sets you apart for glory in spite of how good you are at church, in spite of how good you are at religion, not because of it. It grabs you kicking and screaming, transforms your heart and life, in spite of how bad you are at church or religion. Religion is irrelevant to whether or not the gospel can impact you. You follow me? Your religion is irrelevant to the impact of the gospel. It doesn't enhance it. 
It doesn't decrease it. The gospel is the gospel. That's why the gospel and religion are like oil and water. Now just imagine with me the impact of Paul's story, right? Could you imagine the first time he told Peter and the other apostles about the gospel of Christ that saved him? They were probably incredulous, skeptical, afraid, but maybe a little bit excited about the possibility. I don't believe it. This guy, Paul, but man, if it's true, can you imagine the impact he's going to have? Like, what do we, we got to see some proof. I mean, he was a transformed person from being a murderer of Christians into the greatest preacher of all time. And then right after that, you know, a few years later, they see God use him in Galatia to start these churches with Gentiles who knew nothing about Judaism. Can you, how do you think the first century Christians would feel about Paul's story? Man, if this guy Paul can believe it, I certainly can. I mean, the impact on the Galatians alone, as they were reminded in Galatians chapter 1, oh yeah, that's right, that's Paul. He's the guy that came with his friend and preached and we all became believers. I remember how he was changed. Maybe he's, I don't need all these guys who are trying to add stuff to the gospel. That's right. Paul's gospel transformed him. That was a pretty good thing. Maybe I should just trust in the gospel that has proof. So let's look at the theological aspects of this, right? We already did that. We won't do it again. Devotional. Here's what happens. We often underestimate the power of our individual experiences with the gospel. That's my opinion. I think we're often afraid to share the gospel because we don't have enough knowledge or wisdom. And I love Paul's story, right? Paul's story is exciting. Let me just take a few minutes now and tell you what I love more than Paul's story. Um... There are some of you that I spend a lot of time with. I meet with some of you weekly. I see some of you just on Sunday. I see some of you four or five times a week. Lucky you. I cannot believe what the gospel is doing in some of your lives. I'm not not kidding you. Sometimes I am so excited about what's happening in your heart I can't sleep at night. I'm not kidding you. Like after I spent some time with some of you, I'll go home and I'll say, okay, I got to get up early to work. I got to go to bed. I'm laying there. I can't believe what God is doing in their life. And I see what's happening is God transforms you from glory to glory. And I begin to see how some of your old passions are fading away. Not because you're following some religious set of rules, but because you met with Jesus on your road to Damascus. And in a moment, he has turned your heart. Then I begin to see, even in the midst of your young faith, how you're beginning to impact others. Inviting them to the garden, inviting them out, hanging out with them, encouraging them, praying for them. And they're they're coming to you for help with some of their struggles. And you're sitting there as a brand new person who's experiencing Christ maybe for the first real time in your life. And all of a sudden, before you realize it, you are a missionary. And you're impacting others around you. And I sit back and I go, I just, want, I just hope I can stay out of the way of this long enough for God to keep doing his thing. Look, 
I shared with you guys a few weeks ago, I struggle with my faith. I'm not Superman. Sometimes I have doubts. But I can promise you, I learn more about the gospel and I learn more about grace and I get more encouragement about the reality and how strong my faith is in the gospel than all the stuff I learned earning all my degrees that are on my wall in my office. I learn more about Jesus. I am more encouraged that my faith is real by watching what he's doing in your lives than what I learned in a classroom studying Greek and Hebrew and church history and Old Testament survey, New Testament survey, all that stuff. As a matter of fact, those degrees on my wall, I've thought about replacing them with some pictures of you guys. Is that creepy? I don't know. Look, The gospel in your life, man, it drives me. It fuels me as your pastor. And if I had not seen, if I were not able to see the gospel transform you, this would be so boring. I would hate coming here. But what's happening is, as I see God working in your lives, it's giving me more and more confidence that the gospel in my life is real. It's powerful. And it's alive. Because, you know, some people can argue, oh, well, Jesus didn't really rise from the grave, or you can't really believe in the Bible, can you? Oh, come on, Paul did not have a... They can argue all those things. You know what they can't argue? Transformed lives. No, your life isn't transformed. Well, yeah, it is. Okay, maybe so, but still. They can't argue it. How long has it been since you shared your own gospel story? How long? Could you even do it right now if you were put on the spot? And I don't mean this to beat you up with it. Here's what I'm trying to say. I want you to understand how important I need it. I need to hear it. Email me. Text me. Call me. I need to, we need, I want this church to become a church that is constantly sharing with each other and those in our lives that maybe aren't part of our fellowship what the gospel has done, what the gospel is doing and what we anticipate the gospel will do in our lives. To me, that's far more important. I mean, we want biblical knowledge, yes. But what's far more important than biblical knowledge is personal knowledge. Paul says, remember me? Here's what the gospel I preach did for me just in case you thought it wasn't real. 